Well, good morning, Crossroads. The video is not down, okay? I just want to put you at ease right now. I can feel the tension in the room that it's like, oh, no, what's happening? This is different than what we're used to. The video did not go down. This was actually planned, okay? This was planned. So don't worry. I want you to breathe a little easy because I could feel the tension. We had that one, one incident where it just glitched for a moment, and then it was like, ever since then, I can feel everyone's like, oh no, is this, is this, is this supposed to be happening? Is he winging it? No, this was planned, okay? This was planned, so breathe a little easier in your seat. My name is Tyler, and I have the great joy and privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor here for Crossroads. Um, and generally, normally, we have Pastor Sam on the screen that we live stream from Buellton. If you're new here and you haven't seen that, that's normally what happens. We, we consider that the healthy diet of what we receive as a church. We get the same exact teaching as Buellton, and that way when we go into small groups and things like that, we're all talking about the same thing. I can see some of you even now, it's like, small groups, I didn't even think about that. Wait, how are we going to do that? Don't worry, we have a plan that's going to work absolutely perfectly because we've thought about it, we've thought about it and planned it out. Um, but generally speaking, we're going to have Pastor Sam on the screen receiving the exact same teaching that Bealton does. But again, that's going to be the regular healthy diet. But there will be times we haven't figured out the schedule where we're going to have either myself or different speakers come in and actually teach live in person here at Lompoc. And those will be planned times that we do that. Um, but I just wanted to welcome you all this morning to Crossroads. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, every single time we gather, whether it's we're receiving from the screen or whether you're in Bealton, whether you're in Lompoc, whether you're watching online, we try and tell you about the greatest person that we believe ever existed, and his name is Jesus. And, and we actually believe that he was not just a person, but he was God in the flesh, as John 1 told us. He came and dwelt among us, and we believe he's the greatest person that ever existed, and he's far beyond just a person, but he is actually God. And so what we do is every single week, we just say the same thing. We say it's all about Jesus. And we don't have it written on the wall, don't worry, but we will. All right, we will write it on the wall. We just don't have a lot of wall space. So it's like, where are we going to write it? We feel it'd be weird if we wrote it really small. So uh, we're trying to plan where we can execute and take up some large space so that we can write on the wall. It's all about Jesus because that's truly what we believe as a church. And, and in order to help us learn about this person, Jesus, we open the Bible every single week. We open the Bible together and to learn more about this person of Jesus. So if you don't have a Bible or you don't have a smartphone, I'll let you in on a secret. You can download the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone and have the Bible at any time. But if you would like a hardcover Bible, we have someone in the back standing by making sure that you have a Bible. You could just slip up your hand and someone will bring you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible or you've misplaced it or you just frankly don't know where it went or where it's disappeared, do take that home. Consider that our gift to you. And we hope that you open it every single day because every time you do, we believe you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So in your Bible, open to John chapter 21. John 21. We have been in John for now, we could say officially over a year ever since Easter. We started the gospel of John as a church last Easter. Uh, this just so happens that as we finished up uh, John, the resurrection, it literally landed on Easter Sunday. Um, and most people think that we planned that out a year in advance. Absolutely not. It was just the Holy Spirit working. We're always amazed as a staff 
as we look two weeks out sometimes and we're like, oh my gosh, do you know where we're going to be at Easter? The resurrection. Like, it's crazy how God works that out sometimes. We don't have a big grand master plan. We just take it portion by portion, section by section, and learn where Jesus is throughout the whole Bible. We don't manage everything to make sure we're going to be somewhere at a specific time. We just read the Bible, and we want to learn more about the person of Jesus. So John chapter 21, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 today. John 21, 1 through 14. I'm going to read it, we're going to pray, and then we'll dive right in. John 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but only about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this now was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of Jesus that's revealed to us through your word. Lord, help us to steward and study your scriptures well so that we can accurately have a good picture of who Jesus is and what he is all about. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what it is you have for us this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that everything we say and that everything we would do would bring glory to you and good to those around us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray these things, and everyone says, amen, amen. So as we get started, um, I just wanted to, it's been a, a little bit give you a little context about the gospel of John. As we're coming to the close in the last chapter, I just want to quickly go over a couple things that's going to be important about the gospel of John. So the gospel of John was written by the disciple John. And the disciple John is what the New Testament, specifically John, refers to as the sons of thunder. Two brothers that were called with Peter, they were fishermen by trade, James and John, known as the sons of thunder. They made a lot of crazy things. They asked for a lot of crazy things. Two very very young men when Jesus called them. And James and John are brothers, and John is the author of the gospel that we read now, but he didn't just write this gospel, but he also wrote other books in the New Testament. Uh, If you can guess it, it's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John also wrote, and then also the book of Revelation is what John authored. Um, 
Now, it's important that every time we read and open the Gospel of John, we have to remember that there was, a, a, there was an intention, there was a plan, and John wrote everything down with a specific purpose. And we read it and we hear it every single week that, ev- that we... Um, bleh, bleh. You think I'd know this since I said it, but I'm stumbling over myself. It comes from John 20. And the whole reason and purpose that John wrote this was he says, now Jesus did many other signs and wonders in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Every time we read a story and account something in the Gospel of John, we have to remember and keep in mind that the purpose and reason that John included it in the Gospel is so that we can believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that who he claimed to be is exactly who he is, that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we will have life in his name. This is the entire purpose that John wrote this gospel. He records every detail, every miracle, every single thing written is with this purpose in mind. Now, this this portion of the story, John 21, happens after the resurrection. Jesus has already appeared to over 500 disciples and people that followed him, but he has not yet ascended to heaven. And John records that this is now the third time that he has appeared to the disciples. The third time that Jesus has appeared, and I I can't help but think of the PTSD that would come with Jesus, like, now rising from the dead, and then it's like, oh, he's here. Oh, wait, where'd he go? Oh, he's walking through walls. Oh, now he's gone again. It's like, well, let's go fishing, and it's like, who's that dude on the shore? Like, the PTSD that would come with realizing that sometimes we think that Jesus came back, rose from the grave, and then it was like, all right, dude, let's just pick up where we left off, and he's walking with the disciples every step of the way. And then we read stories like this and we go like, what are they doing? But we have to remember that this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. More than likely, this is about a two-week time period since the resurrection of Jesus and only the third time that he has appeared. The disciples are dealing with a lot right now. So sometimes we'll get into the text in a moment. We read a story like this and we immediately go like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you just go fishing? Like, why wouldn't you be with Jesus? No, Jesus has only appeared to them two times before this story. So as we see, he's already, uh, he's been uh, alive for about two weeks again after the resurrection. And this is what Simon Peter tells the disciples. There's seven of them there, six, seven including Peter, six not including Peter. He says, I'm going to go fishing. And I've heard a lot of sermons. I'm sure everyone in here has heard a lot of sermons on this text. And sometimes we focus on things that aren't necessarily in the text. And because we do that, sometimes we miss that general overview of what actually is happening in this story. And I've heard the stories of, man, the disciples just picked up exactly where they left off and and decided they're just going to become fishermen again. It's like Jesus now has died, but he's resurrected. And it's like, you know, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing when Jesus called me. Because we can remember in Luke chapter 5, this was the call of Peter and James and John, was they were fishing, and it's like we almost conclude these two stories are one and the same, and we read about the good grace of Jesus, which absolutely is there, but we, we almost make these stories synonymous when really they're, they're not. They're not the same story. The call of Peter and then Jesus appearing to these seven disciples are, are totally different stories, 
Sometimes we think, oh, they're just going right back to the life that they lived. But the text doesn't seem to give credit to that. It's almost like Peter's like, hey, I'm, I'm going fishing. Not like, hey, I'm going to start up a business again and become a fisherman who wants to go with me. He just simply says, I'm going fishing. And if there's any fishermen in the room, are there any fishermen in the room? Not me. Not me. All right, not many. So no one will really know. It seems like people who go fishing just kind of are like, hey, dude, I'm going fishing. Oh, cool. When are you going? Uh, like right now. Oh, were you planning on it? Nope. Just heard the fish were biting. Going fishing. Like, it's spontaneous, sporadic. It's almost like surfing, which I can completely relate to, of like, oh, dude, I'm going surfing. When are you going? Now. Waves are pumping, okay? We're going surfing now. It's like, you didn't plan this? No. In fact, I had other things planned, and we scrapped all of it so that we can go surfing. That's what we're doing. And it's almost similar to how fishermen are. Like, dude, I had a bunch of plans. Oh, no, my wife has a long list of things for me to do. And I've pushed all of that off till tomorrow. We're going fishing. That seems to be more of the spontaneous nature in which Peter is like, I'm going fishing. Now, we could read into that and say, why are they going fishing? Was it malicious of like, I'm going back to what Jesus called me out of? I, I, I would be hard pressed to believe that. It could be that they need money. Remember, these are young, young men that have followed Jesus, left everything, and they need to eat. And the person that fed the 5,000 isn't there at the moment. And they're like, hey, we're going fishing because we need to eat some food. Or it could be that maybe they needed to raise a little bit of money. Maybe they needed some money. All of these things we can infer into the text. But what I read here, what I think the, the point of the text of, man, we're going fishing. Hey, we'll all go with you, is that we see men here that are without purpose. I don't know about you. When I've lost track of my purpose, sometimes I fill my time with the strangest things. When I lose track of the purpose of I'm a husband and I need to be a good husband, that purpose does not go away. I don't wake up one morning and not have that purpose. In fact, that's a purpose that I have as long as I'm married to my wife. As long as we live, I want to continue to grow and be a good husband. For parents in the room, the purpose doesn't go away of you being a good parent to your child. Regardless of how old or young they are, we always are growing as parents in how we're going to raise our kids and show our kids the person of Jesus in everything that we say and everything that we do. See, everyone in here has purposes, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, moms, dads, and those purposes don't go away. What we see here is men who have seemed to lost track of their purpose. Understandably so. I think we've all been there at times. And sometimes we can see that more when we start focusing on bigger things. Sometimes it's like, hey, we're going to be about this, and then we're going to neglect this purpose. And then when we don't make an impact or an influence with this, all of a sudden we forget that, no, 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 there was a very strict, good disciplined purpose that the Lord gave me that I've now kind of neglected and pushed away so that I can focus on something like this. And we see it in our society so much. I don't know about you, but I'll go down on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram and every single video are these people that are fighting for these purposes that, again, I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying that maybe they won't bring glory to God. But have they actually worked on all of these other things, these very distinct, good, godly purposes? Have they neglected all of those in the pursuit of maybe what they think God is calling them to do? We see the disciples here, and they seem to have lost track of their purpose. 
Can I tell you a purpose we have is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to tell these words to the disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. And sometimes we get so lost in thinking, Lord, I'm going to go be a missionary for you. And good, I pray for you. I hope that God does amazing and miracle, miraculous things. But how about your neighbor? How about your family? How about your kids? Again, it's not saying this is bad and this is good. But we need to remember our purpose, our calling, what the Lord has set directly in front of us. Otherwise, we may end up like the disciples who have gone fishing on a spontaneous moment because they have got distracted from the purpose in which God has set out for them. The disciples go fishing. Six of them say, I'll go with you. And what's funny is John is very, uh, pretty meticulous with how he writes. He includes details. And I, like, not just details, but hey, there was 153 fish details, okay? That's a pretty big detail to include. And then it's like, hey, here's all the disciples that went, and then two other guys, I don't know their names, uh, or I know their names, but just two disciples of Jesus decided to tag along with us. So there's seven disciples who have all gone out and gone fishing. And after a long night, they've caught absolutely nothing. They got skunked, and it's never a good feeling to get skunked. And as they're sitting on the boat, there's a man on shore. Remember, they're about 100 yards off, so I wouldn't be able to tell who it is either. And the person says, children, have you caught any fish? And they go, nope, nothing, skunked. It's like you're in the water on your surfboard. It's like, dude, you caught any waves? Like, thanks for reminding me, dude. I've been sitting on my board for two hours. I've caught nothing, okay? Not a good day. And Jesus says, cast your nets to the right side. The living Jesus appears to the disciples while they're just living their lives. The risen Jesus appears and helps them, instructs them, leads them. And by doing this, he proves once again to them who he is. Remember, the disciples didn't know who Jesus was at this time. In fact, remember, he's only appeared to them two times since then. One time, obviously, you saw the guy crucified and died. He rises again, and it's like, oh my gosh, that shouldn't be. The second time, it's Thomas is sitting there and he goes, unless I feel, I put my fingers in his scars and I see the scars, I will not believe. And Jesus suddenly walks through a wall and is there and allows Thomas to do this. Miraculous things that Jesus did. But here we see this miracle of Jesus. Now keep in mind, this is the last miracle of Jesus that we see short of the ascension of him rising again to the right hand of God. This is the last miracle that the Gospels will record. And it's Jesus allowing the disciples to catch 153 fish. Jesus appears to them and just instructs them, throw your net on the other side of the boat. The living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes again and instructs, leads, guides, directs the disciples. It says, just cast your net on the other side of the boat. And because of their obedience to him, not knowing who he is, but hey, we got nothing less to lose. Been out here all night, let's cast the nets on the other side. And because of the obedience that they have, they end up catching 153 fish. Now, this miracle in itself 
is what makes the disciple whom Jesus loved best kept secret ever. It's actually the author, the Gospel of John. He is the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John says, this is the Lord. Because of the direct actions of what the disciples did, catching absolutely no fish and the simple instructions of a man on shore saying, try the other side of the boat. Now, I don't know about you, but when I stand on the shore, sometimes I can see things in the water that people in the water cannot see. You ever see a big shadow out there? You're like, get out. (laughs) Come on. And it's dolphins, you know, and you're like, oh, no, you're cool. It's fine. You could stay out there. We can sometimes see things on shore that people in the water cannot see. And that very well could be why the disciples decided to throw the net on the other side. We don't know why, but what the text does tell us is they did not know that this was Jesus. And what enlightened them, what made them realize this was Jesus, was the result of all the fish in the net. This is what makes John go, this is Jesus. And I love Peter's response. Uh, He's so just like, let's go. He jumps in the water, but first he's got to grab his robe because he's, like, not dressed appropriately. Uh, and I can share in this because sometimes I'm like, man, I can't really go to church like this. Like, let me, let me grab my outer garment, and then I'll go to church. Sometimes we just think, like, oh, let me grab this, and then I'll start swimming in. Peter immediately grabs the outer robe because he's stripped down for work because he's been fishing all night long and swims into shore. And the other disciples are just left with 153 fish in the net that's not breaking, and they try to get it up, and it's like, well, the the boss just left. Keep in mind, Peter was the most experienced fisherman on that boat. Peter actually owned his own business. He owned probably a couple boats when Jesus called him. And the best fisherman just jumped overboard, okay? And the rest of the disciples are like, all right, well, well, we'll get in when we get in. And they begin making the trek back to shore as Jesus, as Peter is headed to shore swimming. Because of catching the 153 fish. Sometimes we correlate this story back to the original text of the, Paul, the call of Peter, James, and John. We read that story where they knew who Jesus was. He had been teaching on the shore or in the boat, depending on which gospel you read. He's been teaching, and they know exactly who he is, and he comes up, and he goes like, hey, have you guys caught anything? And they're back on shore cleaning their nets, okay? Cleaning their nets means they are done. It's almost like a cowboy oiling his boots after a long ride. You oil the boots to sustain the life of the boot. And it's like the cowboy's in there, and his boots are all oiled, clean, fresh, looking good. And all of a sudden, someone goes, hey, you got to go back out and do some more work. It's like, ah, no, I'll do that tomorrow. Like, they are cleaning their nets, making sure that they can sustain the longest life that they can. And and Jesus goes, hey, why don't you go out into the deep? Go way out and try and cast the nets again. And they pull in a multitude of fish. Doesn't give us the count. All it says, my worst nightmare, is that the boat is sinking because of all of the fish. I don't like boats anyway. I don't know about you. Boats are not my thing, unless it's on a lake. If it's in the ocean, no way, man. Like, I don't want to do that. Last time I went on a boat, I got seasick, and we only went about five miles out, and I'm chucking on the side of the boat. It was not a good day, but caught a couple waves, so it was worth it. Boats are not my thing. And then you throw into the mix. Dude, there's so many fish in the boat, it's actually sinking. Fish flopping around, making the boat sink. I'm like, I'm out. The only reason 
I stay in the boat is because it's not snakes. If it was snakes, I'm, I'm full on Peter. I'm not clothed, but I'm jumping out of the boat. Fishing is not my thing. And these disciples go way out in the deep, go fishing, and reel in a multitude of fish so that the boat sinks. And this is where the call of Peter, James, and John comes. But this miracle seems to stand apart as something different. I think it's almost more like the miracle from John 6, which we read about. The feeding of the 5,000, a boy coming with a little tiny lunch with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's all he's gotten. Jesus and the disciples come to Jesus and he's like, what are we going to do? We have to send all of these people away because they're going to starve. They don't have food. We're too far. What are we going to do? And he says, does anyone have any food here? And they're like, one boy has five loaves and two fish. But I don't know if about you, Jesus, but that math does not add up. We cannot feed 5,000 men, which means there's even more than that. We can't feed all of these people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they end up bringing this boy's lunch and the sacrifice of the boy giving it, saying like, here you go, it's yours. Like, not like I need it. (laughs) Who needs food? You know, take my lunch, bring it to Jesus. And the surrenderance of that lunch, and they break it up into 12 baskets, it says. And the disciples just begin handing out loaves of, fi- loaves of bread and fish to 5,000 men. Jesus does something miraculous for the crowd of people. And people accept that miracle. And they come back, and they go, hey, we like that trick that you did yesterday. Can you feed us again? And Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. You must eat of my body and drink of my blood. Now these words, understandably so, they're not a big fan of. We have to, what? Eat of your body, drink of your blood? Nah, dude, that miracle was cool, but I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm not doing this. And everyone disappears, goes back to their homes, He looks to the disciples and says, well, are you going to go too? And their response, where else can I go? You have the words of life. They continue to walk with Jesus. They see him crucified in front of them. They see him rise again three days later, and here they are fishing. Here they are fishing, just seven of them in a boat, getting absolutely skunked. And suddenly a man from the shore yells, just throw it on the other side side. And they catch 153 fish. Because of this miracle, this direct result of obedience to Jesus, a multitude of fish is caught, and they immediately recognize him as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. They say, this is Jesus. I think this stands a bit in contrast to the miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people And they like that miracle, but they don't like necessarily the words that he says after. They don't like that he's not just there for a free handout. And the disciples, Jesus, sees that they caught 153 fish. This is a good day for a fisherman. This is an extremely good day. Think of all the money that we can sell this for. We can go to market. and Maybe we can tie that back to Jesus and we can do all these great things with it. And Peter's response to knowing that this is Jesus isn't thinking about how can I use this blessing that God has given me, but I just want to be where he is. 
This is the appropriate response to the miracle that Jesus performs for the 5,000. I just want to be where Jesus is. I want to sit at his feet. I want to follow him, and I'm willing to jump overboard to be close to him. See, again, sometimes we can get so lost in purpose and blessings and things that God's doing in our lives that we neglect sometimes the very basics of the faith. Lord, I want to be close to you. I want you to lead, guide, and direct my every step. I want to be where you are. I was designed to be close to you, and that is going to be my pursuit and my push every day and every moment is just to be close to you. This is exactly what Peter does. And again, this isn't about right or wrong. The disciples weren't wrong for staying in the boat, and Jesus, Peter wasn't right for jumping overboard. They needed the boat. That's probably not a good idea if all seven of them are like, well, we'll follow you, Peter. Like, you're jumping in, I'm jumping in. And then there's just a boat drifting off. That's not necessarily the point of the story, but we can learn something from the reckless abandon that Peter has to follow Jesus at all costs, recognizing that he is the bread of life. This is the same Peter that sat with him as he broke bread. It's amazing that we see there's only two instances in the Bible that talk about a charcoal fire. As they come to shore, Jesus has made a charcoal fire there where he's heating up the fish and the bread, cooking them breakfast. Pretty, pretty cool. I wish Jesus would cook me breakfast sometimes. There's a charcoal fire made. And the only other time we read about a charcoal fire in Scripture is just a couple weeks before where Peter has now denied Jesus two times. And a servant girl around a charcoal fire is standing there and says, aren't you one of the disciples? Didn't you, don't you know him? And around a charcoal fire, Peter says for the third time, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And the prophecy was fulfilled and the rooster crowed. And yet here now Peter comes back again to the charcoal fire to share in the blessing of what God has given him of the catch of the 153 fish. The disciples have lost purpose. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. And Jesus appears in their brokenness, in their time of uncertainty, in the time when they don't know what's next. Jesus appears and performs a great miracle of blessing on them. But the disciples don't get lost in the miracle of blessing. What enraptures them, what amazes them more than anything is their Savior there with them again for the third time. Now, I don't know what Jesus looked like, but the Scripture makes clear he didn't quite look the same. We have Mary mistaking him for a gardener. I can't explain that one. You follow Jesus long enough, you got a little bucket of like questions of why. I'm like, why did Jesus look like a gardener? I don't know. We have the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that are talking with him. And Jesus is there and he goes like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, are you the only person that hasn't heard about what's been happening in Jerusalem? We're going to tell you all about it. And they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And until he breaks the bread at the table is when they're like, oh my gosh, that was him. That was Jesus. And they start heading back to Jerusalem. And here we have the disciples standing on the shore, not recognizing him, 100 yards off, that's understandable. But it says as they sit down, they begin to have breakfast. None of the disciples dare to ask him, who are you? 
for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. As Jesus is sitting there with them, they know deep down that this is their Savior, their Christ, the one who died and paid the ultimate sacrifice. I want to encourage you guys today. Sometimes we try and figure out, Lord, what are you calling me? What are you telling me to do? Should I be a better husband? Should I be a better wife? Let me just tell you, yes, you should. You should pray every day that you're able to love your spouse well. You should pray every day that you're able to raise your kids well. You should pray every day that you can represent Christ to its fullest in your family. But sometimes there's other things that we feel the Lord is calling us to do. And sometimes as believers, we keep that in. We don't talk about it. We don't tell people. We don't tell mentors or pastors or family or friends who also follow Jesus. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And I would tell you, share that with someone. If you feel the Lord is calling you to do something, if you feel the Lord is guiding and directing you somewhere, share it with a pastor, share it with a mentor, share it with your spouse, share it with a family member or a friend who follows Jesus because we all have purpose in this room. Sometimes we might lose it, but we all have a purpose that God has laid out for us. And just when we think we've lost it, suddenly Jesus does something in our lives that we go, oh my gosh, Lord, you're still alive. The living Christ still comes in our daily lives through his Holy Spirit and guides and directs us. Sometimes it results in a blessing, but ultimately it should push us to go, this is the Savior that I follow every day of my life. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in the Lompoc campus, at the Buellton campus online. Lord, we love you. We want to follow you. We want to be close to you. Lord, help us to see the purpose that you've called each and every one of us to. The shared purpose of go and make disciples of all nations, representing you well in every action and every word that we do. Lord, let us be little Christs, Christians. Let us do that well. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. You're doing great, amazing, and mighty things. Lord, and we pray for every single need that's in this room. Whether it's a joy, a celebration, or whether it's a loss and a mourning, whether it's a fear, or whether it's excitement, Lord, we mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who celebrate. Lord, you're doing great, amazing, and mighty works in each and every one of us. Refill our purpose so that we can leave this place on mission to reach people that don't know Jesus. Because Jesus, you are the greatest that there ever was and that there ever is. You remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your mighty name that we pray all of these things. And everyone says, amen, amen.